0: I can't repeat what I said, but it was like, oh, my gosh. And then I ran around the house like a crazy woman going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) And I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because I had been given my first national referees gig and I was absolutely petrified, gobsmacked and elated all in the same moment. And my husband thought I was just being crazy, a crazy woman running around the house. (laughs) I think that stands out to me forever.
1: to Swim.rocks, the podcast that shares ideas, information and inspiration between swimming people who stay dry. This week we're talking to Sherry Smith, who is not only one of Australia's most respected technical officials, but last year she was one of the two referees who officiated at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast. And it turned out to be uh, quite an experience, not just for the event and everything else that goes with this as well. But as you'll hear, she disqualified a world champion in his pet event. And she goes into a lot of detail around that, which is uh, absolutely fascinating, even for those people that um, don't know anything about officiating at all. But our conversation covered much more than just that one uh, one incident Um, we discuss her swimming career and learn that she actually had no intention whatsoever or interest in becoming a referee so do listen as she explains her rather long and exciting path to the Gold Coast.
0: My children when they were little we did some renovations to the house and of course as we did back then we put the pool in so obviously with three little children, my first thought was I need to have these children learn to swim. So I took them along to Peacurst West Indoor Swimming Pool because there just happened to be a flyer in the, uh, one of the children's um, school bags when they came home, Learn to Swim with Rose at Peakhurst West Swimming School. So I dutifully took my eldest, who was six at the time, along to Rose to have her learn to swim. Um, And then, obviously, as follows, over the next couple of years, my other two children. And as they do in Learn to Swim, where there's a swimming club, I was approached by a member of the club saying, oh, you really should look at having your daughter put into... Um, the club into races because she's very good, <laughs> and of course I did. I went along to um, in about 1991 or so, 1990, whatever it was, to Peakhurst West Swimming Club. Uh, sorry, Pecos Swimming Club, and I sat in the stands and I put my little girl in the races. And somebody came up to me and said, "Oh, you, we need you down timekeeper," and I went, "No, no, 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 I don't do this stuff." I just need to have my daughter have some competition, and they said, "Oh no, we'll teach you. We'll teach you how to do it." So the very, very next week, I went down. They stuck a stopwatch in my hand, and I never have sat in the stands since. <laughs> so that's how I started.
1: So Sarah, from 1990, 1990 to now, yes. <laughs> yes, you've never sat in the stands since. Mm-hmm.
0: Or oh, maybe on the odd occasion at, at maybe some of my daughter's big events. But um, as a rule, no, I've been down on deck with a stopwatch or doing whatever I do on deck. Mm.
1: You started with a stopwatch in your hands in 1990 and 1991. Mm. Uh, tell me about your journey since then. I mean, that's obviously uh, Peakhurst Swimming Club is a, is a local swimming club. Um, okay. It's one thing to do it at a local level. It's another thing to do it at an area level. It's another one to do it at a state level, then national level. And now you're at FINA international level. I mean, did, did, you, did you set up, did you set out to, uh, to tour the world officiating? I mean, tell us, how did, how did it all happen? How did it progress?
0: Well, it was, over the years, it was a very, very long journey. And no, I never set out to be an international swimming official it just panned out that way um obviously when you've done it for a couple of years you sort of they come along every week and they go or every now and again and back in those days it was we didn't have areas we had districts and I was a member of the St George Sutherland district through Peakhurst. and they would come up and say well you know you've been doing this for a while now would you like to make it official and get a certificate like a a credential to be a an official timekeeper and I thought, well, you know what? yeah, I'm enjoying this. And my daughter was progressing from club to metropolitan uh, area to metropolitan and, and then to state and was pushing the, the national scene. So I thought, oh, look, you know what, I can contribute here and obviously as most officials that are hearing this will know or understand, there's always a shortage of people willing to stand on the end of the pool and take times or do recording or do announcing or starting. So I thought, no, I can be a little bit more productive here. So I went along for my first course, which was timekeeping. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for me, I'm not sure now, looking back, St. George Sutherland only conducted one lot of credentials a year. So one year you could become a timekeeper if you were successful. The next year you could, say, become a starter. The next year you could become a check starter and so on. So it took me, back in those days being a member of that area, probably eight years, nine years, to get up to having reached every cred- credential that there was prior to being a referee. But I never wanted to be a referee, believe it or not, I just stopped there. It was like, now I've got on my I can be a check starter, I can go and help in recording, I can be a marshal, wherever they need me, I can go. But I never wanted to be a referee. So that came a little bit later, maybe 3 or 4 years after my last credential and I thought, "Well, you know what? Hang on, I'm still here. I'm still officiating and I'm sort of kind of good at this, like people are like saying, you know, you do this well. So I thought, and at that time also in our area, there was probably six, seven or eight of us from other clubs that, uh, including my own club where there was three of us who thought, you know, it's about time we, we pushed the envelope and became referees, as daunting as that seemed at the time. So we put it to the area. Would you, you know, like to have some, have you got somebody that will, Um, be willing to sit us through our referees exam which we had to do in those days so that we can get obviously the ultimate credential there is we thought at that time that we could get so eventually the areas agreed and some lovely ladies there was uh, who people might know or remember there was Suzanne Burgesson who's just been made a life member of Swimming New South Wales lovely lady um judith arnold another lovely lady believe it or not and brian franklin so the three of those got together and put about 13 of us through our referees credentials uh in the year 2000 so as you can see there was a 10 there was 10 years between me starting at swimming and getting that final credential or as a referee in 2000 so it was a long journey but it was well worth it and um yeah, so I became a referee, got the credential, and then someone said, oh, you should come away to Nationals. We have so much fun. <laughs> I thought, oh, that sounds good. I can go to Brisbane and be with all these lovely like-minded people. And also, Ben, one of the things you've got to remember, too, is that over that 10 years, it's like a job. It, it, it's, you form such great relationships and camaraderie between like-minded people. And there was always the social side of Peak Swimming Club. And, you know, we'd have trivia nights and, you know, barefoot bowling nights and all that. So over 10 years, you make a lot of really great and close friends. And that was part and parcel of one of the reasons why I decided to stay in the sport long after my children had left. So, yeah, so from nationals, it just, I thought, oh, okay, maybe I could go overseas. (laughs) So it just went on and on and and I kept, I had the bug. And I think as I wrote recently in in something to the TSC, the chlorine was in my blood by then and there was no getting out of it. So I just went, well, let's just see how far this little journey can take me. And here I am today, my second round of FINA refereeing and I've had the most amazing opportunities that I think, any person
1: could possibly have what a lovely lovely story <laughs> now you talked about the social side there um i think you've been part of what is known in uh, officiating circles as the awesome foursome uh sunny bidner gloria weigman and the late val ben fenbo and yourself talk, oh talk a bit about that
0: Ah, yes. Well, that was um, those ladies, Gloria, um, Sonny, who, uh, who's to with us and officiating. I don't think Sonny's so much now, but Gloria's still officiating. Val, unfortunately, sadly passed away not long ago. And um, we used to, <laughs> in the Northern Territory, which was a place we hadn't been to, they used to have a championships called the Arafura Games. So it was all the Arafura little islands and countries in the Northern Territory. They so would get together and have um, these Arafura Games every two years. So we looked at that as another opportunity to see Australia. <laughs> so the four of us got together and banded and we would go. So we'd, we'd go down to, say, Adelaide and do Nationals. Then we'd hop on, on the Garn and go from Adelaide up to Alice Springs. And then from, we'd spend a few nights in Alice Springs and doing, you know, Dinner Under the Stars and seeing Uluru and all that. Then we'd hop on a plane and dro- and fly across to Broome in Western Australia, do all the pearling stuff over there. Then we'd hire a car and travel 6,000 miles to Darwin, stopping at um, Catherine Falls and Kununurra and Litchfield Park, ending up in, in um, Darwin to do the Arafura Games and then go, hey, I think we better go home now. <laughs> so we had an absolute blast. We did that for several years and it was just, an absolute, we had a, an absolute blast seeing the countryside and incorporating the swimming as well. So an absolute, absolute hoot that was back in the day. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and what do your friends and family think about all of this?
0: Oh, well, they're so supportive. Um, as I say, I had three children who swam anyway at that time. Um, by the time they decided that You know, they'd moved on. My hair was too precious and I have a boyfriend and, hey, I can't go out with chlorine-coloured hair on a Saturday night. Um, As I said before, the chlorine was in my blood, so I just went on. My husband was very supportive. At the time, he was – people used to say to me, oh, poor Steve, you know, he's at home on his own and you're travelling all over the place. And I said, hang on a second, my poor Steve was a, a, a union delegate He he was a golfing person. He was a car fanatic. So I was at home more on my own than Steve was ever at home on his own. So we had this beautiful relationship where he would go and do his golfing things, his union trips, his, you know, car rallies and all that, and I would go and do my swimming thing. So we were very um, understanding of each other's um, hobbies, can I say, and uh, in the meantime, we managed to bring up three lovely children and, uh, who respected our, our choices as, as, as adults, yeah. You know? So it was, very, uh, it was a very well-balanced relationship. And some people said to me, like, how do you, like, get together? And I said, well, every now and again, Steve and I book dates and we all take the weekend off if we can manage it and we'll go into the city and have a, a week in the city, see a show, Stay in a lovely hotel, have meals. So we balanced our hobbies, as I said before, with our personal relationships, I think, very well. We're still married 35 years, so it couldn't have been too wrong.
1: <laughs> oh, lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's, that's a lovely story. Now, if I may, I'd like to just um, fast forward to the Commonwealth Games last year. Yes. Uh, Tell me, um, it must have been some time in advance of the games where you knew that you'd been appointed. Uh, when you got that letter, or you got that email, or you got that phone call, how did you feel? What was it like?
0: Um, it was very surreal. Then I can tell you from the get go. I I'd heard, I'd, and you know this—you know how it works. You, you hear these little rumors around the place saying, "Oh, you know, I've heard you've been put up to referee to come Games." It's like, yeah, right, <laughs> I don't think so. And then I'd rattle off half a dozen people around the country, not just New South Wales, but Queensland, Western Australia, Victoria, all the states, who I thought would be candidates to be selected. Um, and then you'd hear and somebody else would say to you, oh, you've got the Com Games, and I'd go, no, because it wasn't official at that time. And... Really it was more hearsay than anything else and every time I thought about it I thought I'm going to be sick because the thought of being a referee at the Com Games was Like the most awesome thing in the world and I never thought for one minute that would have been that it would be me however, I kept hearing these little rumors around the place and then eventually I had a call and this, I won't name names, but this particular person said to me, well, I've got the roster here in front of me and it says Sherry Smith referee. And I think it was then, probably six months out, that it actually sunk in that, hey, I might be actually doing this gig. <laughs> so it was, uh, and as I said, it, right up until the day, I, every time I thought about being a referee at Common Games with the whole world coverage that that entails, I literally could form it. True, <laughs> and then once it kind of sunk in, and I actually physically saw the roster, I then that's when I decided. Well, you know what? They've chosen you, and you are going to do the best damn job that you can possibly do. And that's what I did. I went over my rules. I learned my stuff. Relearned my stuff. I practiced. I honed. My whistle blowing, everything. So I thought, you know what? if they're going to put you up, I'm gonna do this well. I'm gonna hopefully do my country proud. So it was but it was a very surreal six months. Mm.
1: I'm fascinated by you talking about the the preparation, you know, you know somebody at your level who does so much officiating, week in wake out, who's done it for so long, you still felt the need to reread your rules to to hone your whistleblowing. just just. Just talk a bit more about that. What's 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 behind all of that? What's um did, did you learn anything, or was it building confidence? What's, what's what, what was the experience I like?
0: I think it was more. Don't go out there and stuff up on national television or international television. I didn't want to make a fool of myself. To be honest with you, it was like I know. We know the rules because that's what, we, as you say, that's what we do week in and week out. However, I've been accused of sleeping with my funeral book under my pillow. So that's nothing new. But it's like you, it's one of my favourite sayings, Benny, is like, use it or lose it. So if you're not doing these things all the time and you're not being challenged um, every time you go out on pool deck by things that crop up and you you can get very um, complacent. You can become very like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be when you're on the world stage, you have to be on your game. And I was just, I really got, I've got to say, to be honest with you, I was just so scared of embarrassing myself, and also embarrassing Australia because it was only myself from Australia who had the men's um, events, and a lovely lady from South of South Africa, who had the ladies, so the women. So there was only the two referees and the two starters for the whole of the games. So you've kind of got to know that, especially in the finals, uh, at the in the evenings, that the cameras and the world and the news is all going to be on you. So you've got to know the tools of your trade. And I can't um, highlight enough. How important it is to be right up there on the cutting edge of knowing your rules, knowing how it works, and making sure that if you enforce those rules, you're doing the right thing by not only yourself and the officials, but by the games and by the swimmers who have worked their butts off to get to that level. So it was like, yeah, let's do this and let's do it well.
1: Now, you were challenged uh-huh. in one of your events. The 50 freestyle, the favorite to win the gold medal, um, you had to disqualify. Yes. Can you talk a bit about that?
0: Yes, I can actually. A lot of people want to talk about that, but I can honestly tell you it was probably one of the easiest disqualifications that I've made purely for the fact that it was a start before the starting signal. Now, as a lot of people out there that might listen to this podcast are aware, A start before the starting signal has to be, unlike a lot of the uh, ruling fractions that come to you as a referee, have to be witnessed by both yourself as the referee and as the starter. So you have to agree that, yes, the swimmer in whatever, lane, whatever, has started before the starting signal. Now, I was extremely fortunate to work with what I class as one of the best starters in the world. And I say that with all sincerity, Erin Collis from Queensland, who is now on her third FINA uh, run as a starter, and she was my referee for the men's at the Commonwealth Games. And I have to say here, just to qualify this, that when you officiate as a referee at this level or at a very high level, the swimmers, when they get on the blocks and the command is given to take your marks, the swimmers go down and they are like statues. They're like rocks. So any movement that is seen or or done by the swimmers stands out. Like, it's huge. It's like you're looking at them through a magnifying glass. So after the start of Ben Proud from England's race, which was Heat 7, the top, the top heat, and he was in lane four. So obviously you've got to know that he's the the one to beat. Um, There was a movement at the start, which both Erin and myself saw. So once this race had started, I stepped back and I just looked at Erin and she thought very deeply for a moment and she just turned to me and said, lane four. And I just said, well, please write it up, because we had both witnessed that movement. Now, the rule clearly states that, at the command of state, uh, take your marks, stationary means no apparent movement. And there was. So whether it be – and here I like to just go back a little bit into heat two, I think it was, of that same event, which was event six, the 50-metre butterfly. A swimmer from the Seychelles was in lane – I think it was six or three, I'm not sure, one of the – just on the outside of the middle lanes – He started before the starting signal. Erin and I stood back, same thing, lane three, started before the starting signal. He went out. So how can you then look at heat six or seven and go, oh, no, this is who it is. We can't do this. You can't. You have to officiate equally and fairly and to the rules, and that's what we did. So we put Ben Proud out of the 50-metre butterfly who I believe had, with that swim, which did not stand, broke his existing Commonwealth record for that event. So I've got to be honest, you know, you don't look and go, this has been proud from England. He's this, he's that, he's the other. You just go, this is heat so-and-so lane four. He started before the starting signal. And he went out the same way as the swimmer from the Seychelles did. So from a referee's point of view, I did my job.
1: In both heaps. You're talking very dispassionately about this, um, and then a few minutes ago, you were talking about the fact you've got the eyes of the world on you, and you don't want to stuff up in front of um, in front of everybody. Um, I think even Ian Thorpe uh, on the TV commentary made a comment that um, the uh, the infraction was no worse than what Kate Campbell had done at um, the Rio Olympics. Um, do you have all those thoughts going through your mind where, uh, in that split second, or is it just you and uh, the, the starter just evaluating what you've just seen?
0: Uh, no, we don't have those thoughts. And to be totally honest with you, I didn't even know who Ben. Pr- I don't know if this should go out, but I didn't even know who Ben Proud was before um, the Commonwealth Games. So, um, and I never watched any of the footage or or media hype until I actually got home to Sydney from the games and then I realised how big a deal it actually was. But all I could remember thinking was because it was a 50 metre event, I was walking back down to this, what we call the starting end, while the girls were doing their 50 metre butterfly. And all I could remember thinking was, oh, this is going to go to protest last heat lane four, because why wouldn't you? Obviously, the the swimmer that we had just disqualified was the fastest swimmer in that event. So I had no um, preconceived ideas of who it was or what his credentials were um, as far as record holding or Commonwealth Games record holdings were. I just knew I was probably up for a protest. And by the time, literally, Ben, by the time I got down to the 50-metre end, I got the word that the English... Uh, staff member, like the uh, team members, had come down and wanted to talk to me about the disqualification. No big surprise there. And so I was just, like, going through my motions of, like, um, well, this is going to go to protest and I'm and this is what I'm going to do. And the steps going, in my mind, I was going through the steps of my protest and obviously which would end up in a jury of appeal, which it should, um, so, yeah, I was basically just going through my processes of how to deal with the, the gentlemen that I met at the end of the pool and what I was to advise them to be uh, for, you know, coming for, going forward with a protest and a jury of appeal. And I did not have any idea of how big it was, to be honest with you. It was, as I said earlier on, it was just a very clear-cut start before the starting signal disqualification for me in the starter. Mm.
1: And it did go to protest. Yes, and is. for those that have never been associated with a protest, to me they, they can sound a bit like a sort of American TV courtroom drama. <laughs> What's it like? Yes. How did it go?
0: Yeah. Um, very simply. I mean, you have a, a process, as you say, if if uh, and, and this goes for, um, you know, even like nationals or... Any meet that you go to, there's a process that, that we go through, which makes. I know a lot of people are a bit daunted, or up-and-coming officials can be daunted by the fact of having a protest uh, raised against their decision and going to a, a jury of appeal. But really, it's a, um, it's like any other process within the swimming rules. It's uh, the processes are put there to make sure that a fair and equal outcome has come. For, for all peoples, or people involved. So um, I had, you know, they said to me, oh, they come to me and said, oh, you've just disqualified Ben Crown from England. And I just, <laughs> seriously, I just said, well, hang on. I had two disqualifications in that event. Which one are you talking about? Of course, knowing full well which one they were talking about, but I had to go through the process. So they said, oh, you know, he... Six or seven, whatever it was. Um, ben Proud from England lane four, and I went okay, yes or no. So I advised them that he was disqualified for starting before the starting signal, and that if they wanted to protest my decision, that they had a form to fill out and a fee to, to pay. Now in Australia, I'm not know if people might be interested in that, but this, but. Uh, A protest in Australia is $100 Australian dollars to protest, a disqualification by a referee. At the Commonwealth Games, which shocked me a lot, it was 500 Swiss francs to put in a protest against a disqualification. Now, 500 Swiss francs is approximately equivalent to 680 Australian dollars it was at the time that is a lot of money so I said to the managers from England do you have some sort of evidence to make me change my decision because you're going to have to put up a lot of money to do this protest and I explained to him how the process went with um, a disqualification for starting before has to be witnessed by both the starter and the referees so you have two very qualified people witnessing this disqualification and without sort of kind of saying to them you know this is a really tough one for you because it's it's probably you're not probably going to win this but I couldn't say that of course so I just said to them if you need to go through with this this is the amount of money that you need to put up this is the form you need to fill out and you really have to come with some sort of evidence to make me change my mind. So they went away, they accepted all of the above, and they went away. They supposedly looked at some video footage that they had, and they came back with the money, with the protest form, and said, we're protesting. So they protested and said that, due to the fact that we had not um, asked for quiet at the beginning of the event, There was a lot of crowd noise, which, you know, I I quite grant that for the Commonwealth Games, which was lovely, there was like nearly 10,000 spectators every day. That was 10,000 for the heats and 10,000 for the finals. That's a lot of people making a lot of noise. But I can honestly tell you that there was quiet at the start, which there were – the the crowd were just amazing. There was quiet at the start for every heat – and every final, and there were seven other swimmers in that particular heat of Ben's that did not start before the starting signal. So I think myself, they were clutching a little bit at stores. They said they'd viewed video evidence and they could not see any indication of a start before, and that we had not called for quiet, so there was a bit of a disadvantage for the swimmers. Um, So... I accepted that protest, I accepted their money, then I advised them that they then, oh, sorry, then I had uh, then I looked at all that and I rejected their protest. Now, what that means is that um, I'm not agreeing with what they're saying. Um, they did not show me anything or convey anything that would make myself and the starter change our opinion of the fact that Ben had started before the starting signal. So i then advised him that he had the right to go to a jury of appeal which is an independent body of three very highly qualified um officials uh not just officials but we had also a fina technical manager there who sat on the jury and we have a technical manager and we had three people who were not involved in that disqualification in any way whatsoever, so completely unbiased. And he decided that because it was at no extra cost when he'd already put up $680, that he would go to jury of appeal and see what the outcome would be because then the stakes were extremely high. As you can imagine, the... You know, four years of getting to a Commonwealth Games, he's a a record holder, he's a world record holder, a Commonwealth record holder. The team, the managers, the family, he himself, have put a lot of time and energy into getting to that one swim. So, of course, they took up the opportunity to go to Dureeva Peel.
1: Wow. Wow. And uh, there's a lot of TV cameras there. You said they looked at video footage. I mean, um, I think you sort of suggested yourself you thought it was pretty clear-cut. I mean, was it not clear from the video that this had happened?
0: Yes, it was. Hence, they lost the jury of appeal. So um, at that level of competition, international competition, the only footage that um, the jury of appeal would um, engage in reviewing is the broadcast viewing, uh, the broadcast footage. So unfortunately for us, by the time all this had transpired, the broadcast people had gone home because it was uh, the end of the day for them. So they'd gone home. So we needed to get a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff that goes on at, at that level of competition to get all the broadcast people back so that the jury of appeal could view the broadcast footage that was taken. And the broadcast footage clearly showed that Ben had moved. And I will grant you, it was not a lot. It wasn't a, you know, he didn't do an Ian Thorpe at the Olympics in 2000 and basically just dive into the pool. It was a very minimal um, movement. However, Ben was not stationary at the start. And they viewed the footage and they um, interviewed myself, the starter, the managers, and... The jury of appeal came to the correct conclusion after viewing that and talking to us that Ben had moved at the start and therefore was not stationary. Now, the fact that they mention Kate Campbell um, in Rio was the fact that either it just wasn't seen by either the referee and the starter or it just wasn't seen. I mean, I can't comment on that because I wasn't there, but... Regardless of that, the fact was that myself and the starter had witnessed movement at the start. The broadcast footage clearly showed that and therefore the jury of appeal agreed after a, a long and lengthy um, uh, timeout. agreed and consequently rejected the protest that the um, English team had put in. Oh, sorry, my phone's just going off. Just stop that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I I believe the right outcome had um, was achieved, even though there were a lot of very upset people by that. But I think, in all fairness, going back to the poor guy from the Seychelles, there was no protest there. There was no disqualified um, due of appeal there. But the outcome was the same. Both swimmers were not stationary at the start, and both swimmers were rightly disqualified.
1: Well, thank you for sharing all of that in such detail. That's just fascinating, fascinating. And I'm sure since getting back, many, many people have, have asked you about that. But but more generally, just looking back at your time on the Gold Coast at the, uh, at the Commonwealth Games, is that all you remember? To, what's the overall experience like?
0: No. no, it's probably... It's what I remember now because, as you say, a lot of people have asked me to comment and talk about it. What I remember most was the camaraderie. Um, I'm just talking from a technical official point of view here. The team that was picked to represent Australia at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast was probably one of the best teams of technical officials that I have ever worked with. Each and every one of those officials knew their role, knew the importance of the job, and carried out their duties honestly to the Just the nth degree. It was an absolute pleasure to know who was in the marshalling room, who was in the call room, who was bringing those swimmers out on deck, who was behind me in the recording room and on the cameras and on the meat manager program. Oh, sorry, it wasn't meat manager, but on the the, uh, results program, um, to the ITs who were standing over the end of the pool getting wet and it was extremely hot. With the, the Gold Coast blessed us with some great weather. But if you're standing out there for two hours in the searing heat, it's a very hot job. You actually, it's probably the one time you <laughs> relish getting wet by the swimmers. Um, to the judges of stroke, to everyone that made an infraction um, recommendation to the referees, it was probably the cream of the crop. They were amazing. And I knew without doubt every time I walked out onto that deck that I was working with the best of the best, and I had—I just absolutely loved each and every minute of it. The, as I say, the the disqualifications that I had, there were several, um, were just part and parcel. Of the same as it is for any um, swim meet that you attend—be it club, nationals, area. Um, The processes were exactly the same as we do here at New South Wales in our meets. But working with those people of such a high calibre, I cannot tell you, I knew they had my back and hopefully I had theirs. It was the best experience of my life.
1: So... In 1990, you had to be tempted down out of the stand to pick up a stopwatch. Uh You had absolutely no intention whatsoever to ever be anything like a referee. 27 years later, you'll find yourself refereeing at the Commonwealth Games. It's just a lovely, lovely story. Now, some of our listeners today are people like you in 1990 uh, sitting in the stands watching their kids compete probably with similar lack of ambition or even definite no intention whatsoever to do dot 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 what would you say to, to people like that
0: um look this journey is not for everybody um it's it's hard yucca it's like any job it's it's hard work you you and i can honestly say Ben, i took out at Com Games what I'd put in. The You know, people look at people that have been around for a long time and go, oh, you never get wet, you never this, you never that. I have footage of me getting so wet. <laughs> I did my yards. I did the hard yards. I learnt from the best. I have stood endless, endless hours on the end of a pool deck. But I did it for the love of the sport. I did it for um, not to be a Commonwealth Games referee. I did it for my club, for my area, for my state, for my country, to be the best that I could be. And I would just say to anyone that is starting out on this journey, if you are going to take that road or take that pathway, you really have to be committed. It's not always easy. You don't always get the cream jobs. You've got to do the hard yards you have to know your rules you have to know your your um, your playground you have to know where you're at um, but the rewards that I have reaped, the friendships that I have reaped over the years um, still ongoing like next Saturday I have to apologize for our state um, age championships because I'm going to, go to a 70th birthday party of one of the board members of Swimming New South Wales, who I have known since the day I walked into Pico Swimming Club, David Goff. Happy birthday for your 70th next weekend. Um, He has been a true friend, and he and his wife and family have just been true friends to myself and my family for all those years. Um, You mentioned before about Sonny Bidner, Val Fenbo, Gloria Wigman. Well, I could go on and on about the friendships that I have formed. Um, but, yeah, it's hard work. It's like any job. It's hard work. Not every day is a good day. Um, but at the end of the day, it's what I take out of it. Tri- it triples what I put in it, um, to the swimmers. And it just, it's an amazing journey. So enjoy.
1: Lovely. Lovely. Sherry, Sherry, before we close, can we have the quick fire round of okay. questions?
0: Yes.
1: What's been the most useful piece of equipment or advice that you've received during your swimming career to date?
0: Don't turn your back on the pool.
1: The lucky door prize for technical officials at a state meet is a bottle of wine or chocolates. Which are you?
0: Wine. All <laughs> sort? Um, Red at the moment, I've grown up. I've gone on to my peas. I used to be such a shardy drinker, but now in my old age, I've learned to enjoy the finer reds.
1: (laughs) Now, what, if anything, would you do differently if you had your swimming career all over again?
0: Oh, that's a tough one, Ben. Um, Probably nothing. (laughs) No, the, the journey has been wonderful and I probably wouldn't do anything different.
1: What's your 50 metres freestyle personal best time for swimming?
0: About <laughs> three days. <laughs> Probably, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, a minute, 50 seconds. I'm not a swimmer, Ben.
1: <laughs> and finally, what's been your most exciting swimming moment?
0: Uh, well, I can tell you, the very fir- very first time I was uh, got a roster, I was when I had first started officiating at national level for Australia and uh, I had nominated to volunteer over in Perth at nationals and uh, the roster popped into my email address and I went looking down for, in those days, timekeeper, inspector of turns, maybe manager operator, which I did for many, many years at a national level and I couldn't find my name and I thought, oh, maybe they've misplaced my nomination. I went back up to the top of the email and there was my name as the referee and I can't repeat what I said but it was like, oh, my gosh, and then I ran around the house like a crazy woman going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, (laughs) and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because I had been given my first national referees gig and I was absolutely petrified, gobsmacked, And elated all in the same moment. And my husband thought I was just being crazy, a crazy woman running around the house. (laughs) I think that stands out for me forever.
1: Hmm. Sherry, thank you so much. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much indeed. It's very good indeed. Fantastic, wonderful, brilliant, awesome, amazing. (laughs) Excellent.
0: Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: As a postscript to that interview I'm delighted to say that Sherry was awarded Technical Official of the Year by Swimming New South Wales which I think is a very fitting recognition of the uh, many 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 years of uh, amazing work that she's done particularly uh, at the Commonwealth Games well that's it for this week thank you again for joining us it was a bit longer this time but uh, i think you agree it's well worth it to hear all about sherry's experience particularly with that uh, that disqualification Uh, i've just been busy locking in interviews with some more exciting guests over the coming few weeks but if there's anybody you'd like to hear from or anything that you're interested in hearing more about do please drop me a line Uh, the email address is ben at Swim.rocks. That's Ben at swim.rocks. In the meantime, do please stay dry.